Welcome to Lockheed Martin Spacemakers. We live happily well beyond the bounds of gravity. The podcast that takes you out of this world for an inside look at some of our most challenging and innovative missions. We're working on habitation technologies to protect people, whether it's in orbit, whether it's on the moon or on Mars. In season two, we explore Lockheed Martin's bold vision of a future that we call Space 2050. I think about autonomous swarms on the lunar surface building new habitats. For a lot of those astronauts, they're going to have to do processing at the edge, especially as we go to Mars and other places further out. We give you an inside look at the innovations we are developing to make that future a reality. We're going to need to end this complete dependence on coming back to Earth. We just have this drive. It's in our DNA to go, to explore, to learn. The end isn't even Mars. To me, the goal is the edge of the known universe. Because getting there is just the beginning. Are you one of those people who thinks it's okay to drive stone? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You end up driving below the speed limit? It's no big deal, right? Wrong. The truth is, your reaction times slow way down when you're high. You not only put yourself in danger, but everyone around you. Talk about a buzzkill. Stop kidding yourself. It's not okay to drive high. If you've been using marijuana in any form, do not get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. What's your name? I'm Gideon. Gideon, where are you from? South Africa. Okay. Johannesburg. That's Hi, I'm my, Jenny. My brother-in-law is from South Africa. He's from, uh, what, not Johannesburg? Yeah, Johannesburg. Yeah, he is. Yeah. It's a very bad place. It is, that's what he said. He loves it. He grew up there, but it's not a good place that's now. That's why I'm in Utah. Yeah, that's why, he, that's why he's out of there. Yeah. I think diamonds... I think, you know, the Mandela and apartheid and well, that's what used to be. And I want to go there. It is known for the gold. Um, Johannesburg, city of gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Antwerp, Belgium, or in Tel Aviv for the diamonds. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, David is your name. Uh, hi, David. Uh, my name is uh, Gideon. Why did I say David? Oh, that is my brother-in-law. No, it's my brother-in-law. His name is David. <laughs> All right, Gideon, uh, who is from South Africa, my name is Bill, and I uh, do a radio show on X96, and this is a podcast called The Let's Go Eat Show. We're learning about what people do here. Um, you, uh, What kind of food do you prepare here? So, uh, authentic South African food. So um, we have a, a wide variety of food from South Africa, the Cape Town uh, to the northern part of Johannesburg, all different varieties, a lot of uh, flavors. A lot of spices, not always uh, spicy, but very aromatic and flavorful. Uh, you know, so what's, what's the influence? Is it uh, Dutch influence, uh, English influence? What is it? Everyone. Everyone. We have the Dutch, the, the French, the Germans, and then the English. Now, are you uh, preparing meals here tonight, or do you have a food truck? No, I am uh, with Patkos, and we have Patkos to go, and that is in, we service Park City. And what sort of, uh, uh, so can only Park City, can, I can't get any of your food? When we uh, do pat, uh, Patkos to go for Park City, we uh, only offer the meals in Park City. There are always a chef on a Thursday night here that will be um, offering the, the dinners to the Salt Lake City. And so what are you, are you doing something tonight? Yes, we do. We have a traditional South African dish called Babuati. And what is that? It is similar to American meatloaf, but not so dry. It is. Hey! 
<laughs> it's okay. Are you a meatloaf? Oh, I make, love meatloaf. You do. Are, I do make you make all your kinds, own meatloaf? I make all kinds of meatloaf. Could we try yours and his? I'm well, guessing ooh. the South African meatloaf. It's a throwdown, huh? Just guessing. I do a bacon-wrapped meatloaf. Uh, we ours is baked with a egg custard on top. So I'll let you try custard. it. Egg custard. That sounds good. And what what are you doing with that? The we serve a turmeric rice and a side salad uh, this evening and homemade chutney. How long have you been here uh, in Utah? Three years in the states. Fourteen. Yeah. And uh, you'll and you, how did you find Utah? I was uh, uh, working at on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, when Stein Erickson brought me over to. To Utah. Stein, he was a great guy. Uh, listen, a pleasure to meet you, Gideon. Best of luck. I make my own chutney, too. I make mango chutney. What do you... Anything. Apricot, peach, mango. I was, you know, I used to buy the Major Gray's chutney in the, in the grocery store all the time. And that's kind of what I knew and liked. But it's like $4 for a little tiny bottle. And then I, I, I got an instant pot for... Because I wanted to try it. And there's a recipe, mango chutney. Huh. It's so much better. Well, I am working on a, uh, a chutney recipe to go commercial. Really? To bottle it? Yes. Best of luck. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you. Hi, it's the Let's Go Eat Show. Once again in your podcast years, a week ago or so, we went to a place called Spice Kitchen Incubator. It's kind of an odd name for a place, but we went there and we ate food prepared by refugees and immigrants to the United States and specifically, of course, to Utah. Spice Kitchen was set up by the International Refugee Committee and a terrific woman who runs the organization named, I'm going to butcher her last name, but it's Natalie Eldieri. I think it's pretty close. She's the um, acting uh, director of Spice Kitchen and also the kitchen manager, Kate, and I'll butcher her last name too, Itzorek. These are terrific people who take refugees who come to them, people from all over the world, immigrants uh, who come here to Utah and say, I need something to do to make a living. Some of them are restaurant people from their own countries and some of them come here and they say, I don't know what to do, but I can cook. Let me start a business. It's a startup biz- business for refugees, essentially. It helps them um, figure out a way to make their food and get it to the public, either through restaurants or food trucks or catering. It's a very interesting concept, and these are all remarkable, lovely people who want to help refugees. Also joining us on this episode is uh, Salt Lake City Councilwoman, Salt Lake County Councilwoman, excuse me, Jenny Wilson, uh, who's also running for Senate against uh, Mitt Romney. I believe he's the nominee, isn't he? Did he make it through? He did. He was kind of squeaked through the primaries. Yeah. So Jenny Wilson also joined us because this is a Salt Lake County-sponsored or supported program as well. We talk about the program. We meet some of the people, the refugees who cook this food. I love it. I loved every bit of it, and I love the food. I hope you enjoy it, too, on the Let's Go Eat Show. Here we are. Spice Kitchen Incubator is the name of this place, a place I've been to before. Uh, we're pleased to be here with, um, well, let me introduce the 
um, acting executive director. Is that what uh, mm-hmm. the proper title is? Uh, Natalie L. Dieri. L. Dieri. She's the uh, acting director of uh, or CEO or whatever of uh, Inc- Spice Incubator Kitchen and also with the International Rescue Committee, which is the umbrella organization, I guess, which uh, which operates this. Thanks, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And we're here with, um, I was going to say Congresswoman. <laughs> senator. Well, I, I have no plans <laughs> to become a congressman. It may be a senator, yeah. and I am a council member. Yeah, council member, um, uh, uh, Jenny Wilson. She's on the Salt Lake Council, and uh, she's also uh, the next uh, Senate. No, well, we better not jinx it. <laughs> yes, let's, she, no. Yeah. She's running for Senate. And, uh, and, uh, we like her a lot. Now, uh, Jenny, are, are you the reason we're here talking about this? How did this all come about that we're talking, uh, in the offices of the, uh, Spice Kitchen Incubator and, uh, how did this all happen? Well, I know that this is a really great, cool program. Mm-hmm. I've never toured it, so I wanted to tour it. Well, and we then will. it was actually, I give the credit to my uh, one of my staff people who was like, wow, I bet because of your show and your interest, Bill, and my interest in touring, that we'd do it together. And so it, that's and, why we're here. And it involves eating. Now, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that says about you and me. Uh-huh. Uh, it is, and I've actually had food here from here on several occasions, uh, every Tuesday, we get a, I think, uh, isn't it, Natalie? It's, it's every Thursday. Is it? Uh-huh. No, I mean, but we get a, oh. uh, an order email, a reminder. It's like on Tuesday, I think. We get an email that says, here's what's cooking at the Spice Kitchen Incubator this week. Would you like to come and pick up a meal? And they're very nominally priced. I can't remember exactly how much we pay for them, three or four bucks. Is it $10 a meal? Um, and so... And then it's always from a different country and a different ethnicity and a cuisine. And uh, I don't know how long ago we started. My wife found out about it, and she went, this is intriguing. So it's great. You come on Thursday. You pick up a meal, or, or, you know, one for each of the family, and there are different options you can get, vegetarian. or mm-hmm. and, and it saves you cooking on that night, and you get to sample food from – uh, various cu- cuisines and I, so how did this all come about um, Natalie sure um, the Spice Kitchen Incubator started really from a desire from the refugee community and from other new Americans who wanted to start food businesses because um, they had a background in the food industry usually from their home countries having owned or operated um, food businesses uh, back home mm-hmm. so we our goal was to translate those skills into US uh, markets and so we looked for model programs across the country and found one in San Francisco called La Cocina uh, that we modeled the program after now when you say we you mean the international um, refugee committee yep the international rescue committee rescue Uh committee Um, and so in partnership with Salt Lake County we worked very closely with the county on this project to begin with and it's been um, quite successful since then the Thursday night meal pickup is one of the highlights I think of the program and started a little over a year ago that we've been doing that a lot of people we talk to take the meals home and have a geopolitical conversation with their family members Mm -hmm. around the table about where this food comes from and why somebody might have immigrated to the United States from that country or what the politics are that are going on. Um, so it's really become not only just sharing new and unique foods with their family, but an opportunity to discuss a little bit more what's happening in the world. This is a perfect thing for uh, Salt Lake County. I bet it took almost no convincing for, for the um, International Rescue Committee to, to, to convince Salt Lake County that this is a good partnership. I bet it was pretty easy. And overall, it was pretty easy. This mm-hmm. is 
probably one of the harder programs that I've ever run as a director of a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. Food industry and food sector is hard work. Sure. I think when we look behind the doors of most of the restaurants and the places that we frequent, the things that are happening in the kitchen are phenomenal. I would the- never go. I would <laughs> never go into the restaurant business. Exactly. Man. It's really, really difficult. And so our job with this program is to make sure that we are mitigating the risk for new Americans who are entering this field and trying to prepare them as mm-hmm. best we can um, to be successful in the food industry. We'll talk about that coming up a little bit more too, and we'll also go on a tour of the kitchen and maybe get an idea of how how that mitigation, as you put it, mm-hmm. happens. Uh, Jenny Wilson, the the uh, uh, now were you around on the council when these proposals were first made? I think so. I mean, we do so many great things at Salt Lake County, and it's not always that well known. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting here thinking, how did the pe- how did the staff hold out on me not to tell me <laughs> that I can put my food order in and pick it up on a Thursday? And my campaign office is around the corner, as oh. is Salt Lake County. So, um, yes, I will be placing an order. And it's just one of the many things that Salt Lake County's programming, incredible kind of um, dedicated Look, employees are doing. How so. many people live in Salt Lake County, roughly? Oh, we're at we are over a million now, okay. just over a million people. Natalie, how many people just, you know, how many people come to Spice Kitchen Incubator every Thursday and get a meal? We usually have between two to 300 orders. Two, two or 300 out of a million. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a wonder that the, the staff, no, yeah. people have not heard, heard about that. it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I don't, I, I don't know where my wife heard about it. She just saw it somewhere. She's kind of more a little more plugged into some things than i am and she said we should do this right and and so we do um it's now i don't want to give people the impression as i'm talking here that that this is a place where people who can't afford to have meals (laughs) come and get food that's Mm -hmm. not what this is at all um let's go into a little bit more uh, tell people how this works with the the refugee population here Mm -hmm. Um, so with the program specifically, Spice Kitchen Incubator, we uh, have developed this model where people come into the program. We are targeting refugees and new Americans, primarily those that are low income for the program, um, as a path for self-sufficiency and upward mobility. Um, but they go through a business planning process with us, and we help them develop a plan, do recipe costing, menu development, and license their business. And then after that, um, it, and they move into what's called the incubation phase, where we help people launch their business and access market opportunities. And so to your point of many people not knowing about the program or these um, different food entrepreneurs who are um, emerging, Mm -hmm. it's because they are emerging. And as we know, um, within a lot of food communities, immigrant food communities specifically, they're generally on the outskirts of town where people don't necessarily get to frequent them that often or to try some of these new foods. And so we're trying to bring that back into Salt Lake City and Salt Lake County and make sure people know about it. You have a two-pronged program problem here or challenge i guess i should put it you have the challenge of going getting the word out to refugee communities hey this is available to you we can help you if you want to start a a restaurant and then you have the challenge of getting the word out to the residents of the county Mm -hmm. that this is this is available although two or three hundred people 
can you handle more than that? You know, we are looking at increasing our capacity, but honestly, that would that's probably our, our max right now. However, in November, we are moving into a new space where we will have a, um, a hot meal service where there's a, a cafe that you can come in and get prepared oh. foods, um, as in addition to Spice to Go, and to purchase uh, packaged goods in the storefront. And so that's where we're going to kind of raise the profile of the program in the next phase to make it more accessible to the Salt community. Not yes. to interrupt, mm-hmm. but just to add, think about what a win-win that is, that we're training these new um, refugee people who have an interest in this area, who are bringing exceptional food from their native countries. And then on the back end, we are seeing an, an advancement in our restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, you look at, you know, we, you and Bill, you and I, you mm-hmm. we're from here, and we're mm-hmm. not um, from this, you know, very vibrant, interesting, different culture that comes in. But think about the opportunity now to eat out at an amazing Indian food mm-hmm. or African food or what have you. So it's beyond, I think, just the impact of the people that you're able to move through um, in the numbers that are uh, directly serviced. But it's that um, downstream impact on our restaurant industry that is so amazing. Yeah. How many restaurants do you know uh, of? Do you know how many are operating as a result, a direct result of coming through? This program? So right now we have two brick-and-mortar restaurants that have launched as a result of this program. We have about five food trucks who are all around the city um, actively uh, doing their business. Um, altogether, we have about 61 entrepreneurs in the program. A lot of people uh, like to stay in the catering um, sector, essentially, and they use our kitchen for the catering. We do have great partnerships with uh, government entities, corporations, schools, different people, private homes, um, or private residents who are catering events all the time through us as well yeah I, and again it's a matter of capacity of what your kitchen can do and in the new facility i guess we'll bump that up but the the, the opportunities are limitless too in terms of um for instance if a, if a school wants to have a day where they're learning about a certain culture mm-hmm. then they do that now can uh, we do have some people that do that yeah. definitely especially with the private schools i think they have more flexibility uh, in doing those types of things well that's because they do mm-hmm. at, at uh, private schools they do catered lunches all the time <laughs> you know. so i've heard i don't know i mean that's what it's yeah. called that's what it's called they, because they don't have access to you know a lunch room and federal, uh, the federal lunch programs mm-hmm. they do catered lunches and and sometimes businesses bring in the lunches and yep. all of that uh, how many do you have any idea what the refugee population is in salt lake county jenny and uh, or natalie should, nodding her head she she's <laughs> yeah. got all these figures she, i'm gonna let natalie answer yeah, that yeah. one so there's an estimated sixty thousand refugees who are living in utah primarily in this in the wasatch front um and so that's a pretty significant portion of the population when you think about Salt Lake County having, uh, you know, about 1 million residents. Um, mm-hmm. It does make up a, a pretty significant sector um, per capita. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's since the program started. There's kind of this philosophical question of when a person is no longer a refugee, right? Once they become a U.S. citizen, they have a place to call their home. Um, and they've, they've made, uh, they've made um, the United States their home, Utah their home. Um, so that's over the course of the program since the, you know, 1980s that we've been resettling refugees in Utah. Um, every year has Historically, we've been resettling around 1,200 refugees that come into to Salt Lake County specifically. Um, those numbers have dropped significantly over the past gee, two years. Gee, I don't. Why would that Roger, be? Yeah. yeah. Why? <clears throat> We're going to turn to politics here. Yeah. I can feel it. Everything. Everything is politics in this world. Right. Um, and sometimes, 
sometimes it gets worse mm-hmm. and sometimes it gets better but. but we are lucky to have a pretty substantial refugee community that's here that adds to our cultural diaspora in the county um, and makes a, a significant impact overall not only just with spice kitchen incubator but in our economic driving force how many countries do, do we know how many countries represented um i don't have the exact number off the top of my head but just over the past uh, handful of years there's at least 10 countries represented mm-hmm. um, of individuals who've been coming and that shifts you know with the um with the global politics, politics essentially yeah. and with the state department mm-hmm. program and we are a refugee settlement community mm-hmm. and we've i'm really proud of that as a lifelong utah to have that diversity in our community now the commitment we've made over the years um i have some great friends um who are tibetan who came in with the tibetan resettlement program mm-hmm. a lot of african nations mm-hmm. um and i i just think i Utah's such a great place because of that. What I don't hear about, and maybe we can address a little bit of the negative side of this or the dark side of it, I don't hear much about um, problems uh, that refugees have here in the community. Um, it, It seems to me that we are a fairly welcoming place for refugees, uh, Salt Lake County and Utah in general, a fairly welcoming place. And that's interesting being such a conservative place. I think we are welcoming, but it is very difficult when somebody comes in and their funding is cut off after six months. And I believe it's um, eliminated after six months. That's just how the Any system works. Any kind of works. federal support? Is that yes, what we're talking about? right. Mm-hmm. So then it, um, the community needs to pick up the pieces. And I think the LDS Church has done a good job at providing a safety net yeah. to a certain degree. A lot of nonprofit organizations, organizations like this one, Salt Lake County, the no, state. The, the Catholic Church is very... Catholic Church has been amazing. Mm-hmm. So with that we have a safety net to a certain degree but we also know that um things can slip through the uh, the cracks mm-hmm. on occasion um i have to sh- do a shout out or i give a shout out rather to my sister missy larson who was one of the people who has been most involved in this and years ago she started to get involved through her lds ward with particular families and as uh, coming from a policy family she learned pretty quickly that there were some problems at the top and i think that's where we really uh, create some success is when you connect government and the community to the needs on the ground mm-hmm. and i remember my sister sharing stories over sunday dinner with the wilson family basically saying look these people are here they don't understand how to work our showers they don't understand the basics of our um how our system our power system works you know how our lighting system the very basics and it has nothing to do with um their intelligence or their education has everything to do with just cultural differences and those barriers uh need to be overcome so i appreciate that you know my sister took this on Others have taken this on. Sully County, uh, my council, others have prioritized this type of program because that's what's going to make it work in this community. It was a good thing that your sister got out of radio sales and started. (laughs) Years ago, she worked for for X96 as a salesperson for a little while. It's a good thing she got out of that business and started doing doing something worthwhile. Yeah. But she, I mean, even the other day she called me and she said, I live very close to primary children's and I happen to have some reason to be home late afternoon which is a rare thing and she said i've my refugee family um is experiencing some challenges and their child's up at primary children's can you run um a meal up to them or get them some money to help them with 
um, dinner. And I said, of course, and I did. But it's it's that type of person-to-person in addition to our support through nonprofit organizations and the government that I think is so great about yeah. Utah. Natalie, how long have you been doing this? I've been doing this for nine years now. Here mm-hmm. or? Yep, in Utah. I moved here from Colorado and started my career in Utah with uh, the International Rescue Committee, having worked in the government sector in Colorado as well as the nonprofit sector there um, for quite a while and then relocated here. And, uh, and so, uh, th- I mean, this is f- this is phenomenal. You've done a phenomenal thing in nine years. Um, you 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 provide you you figured out how to provide a place for people to to come and cook meals and and develop their business skills and also I think you, you uh, have figured out a way to give these people loans right mm-hmm. um, so I should clarify I've been working with the IRC for nine years Spice Kitchen Incubator started in 2013 so we're just okay. going on our fifth year now well that's even um, more um, remarkable yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we do have a, a whole economic well being program within the International Rescue Committee where we provide technical assistance access to capital where we can loan up to $50,000 for somebody to start a loan. Um, we do credit building and credit repair um, programs and other financial literacy and coaching. And so we're trying to find all of the different things or identify the things that anybody would need as they're making their home in a new community. Um, if any of us were transplanted into another co- another country, right, and we had to start from scratch, we would find a job. We would try to sustain our, for our families. And then after two to three years, we would think about, how do I move up in my career? How do I start a business? How do I purchase a home? What do I need to know about credit or or working in this economy, this new economy that I'm in? And so we think of our programs from that that lens of what what do we need to do to get people on a path towards upward mobility? Um, People who come here from third world countries where there's not as developed a bureaucracy, you know, you want to do a restaurant in some some third world countries, you you know, you get get a, a brazier and you... You set it up on the uh, in the mm-hmm. marketplace, and you and you maybe you rent a space from somebody, or you fight for space from somebody, or you do it on the side of the road, mm-hmm. and you just do it. And the, the, there are no health inspectors coming around, and there's no government oversight, and there's nothing. You just do it. Uh, and there, but the, at the same time, there's nobody to give you a loan. There's no county support. There's mm-hmm. none of that. I, I'm just curious how people from countries like that who come here and they're gonna say they're going to set up a business. How, what, how do they find it? Do they find it amazing and wonderful that there's that kind of thing, or do they find it like, well, why can't I just set up a, on this? You know, there's a park right there. Why can't I just do that? Mm-hmm. It's typically the latter. Um, it, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I think anybody wants to make money as quickly as they can mm-hmm. sometimes, and and our system just doesn't work that way. There's yeah. health department regulations. You have to have your food handlers permits. You need to have business licensing, insurance, all these different things that go along with it. There is one of our clients um, that was having a really difficult time grasping this concept. Like, why can't I do this? I have my food. I have the kitchen. I'm ready to go work. Why and can't so, I do it out of my house? Yeah, and so she was uh, she she was you know pulling up to the taxi cab stations in town opening her van and selling food good and, for her uh, <laughs> no um but and so we really had to educate her mm-hmm. on why this would be there would be major consequences for you doing business this mm-hmm. way i would be fine by the way if she pulled onto my street <laughs> because she's like i'm not sure, cooking I'm, as much as yeah. i used to the last time i was in mexico i was staying staying in this house that somebody said i could stay in this nice house you know but it was out by the beach and every day people would come around in vans and stuff with you know you want to buy some tamales mm-hmm. i just made them this morning at my house you know and that's yeah. that's the I, and you know so yeah sure yeah I, and i bought tamales from them and never got sick and they were delicious and yeah for sure yeah i i sometimes 
Sometimes I wish there was a little bit more of of that here, but but, right. there but I think our food truck industry is almost. I mean, like it's right. that blend mm-hmm. now That's of really that great. with the right. you know regulations and the health and safety which and, we need. And it, they've uh, the health department has eased up on our food cottage um, or cottage food uh, businesses as well. Explain what cottage that is. food is, where you can um, have certain you can make certain types of food out of your home that aren't prone to foodborne illness essentially, and to sell those. So mm-hmm. you know baked cookies or those types of things. Things, mm-hmm. um, so that you can do some of those smaller Good. scale yeah. activities. Yeah, I, I just think I just was thinking about that. How different it is in you know in Mexico. How many times I've just had bought something from somebody who says, "Hey, I got some extra. You want you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you don't find that here. But I think somebody needs to start a food truck business. You might propose this. Uh, that does in fact take orders and go around house to house. Mm-hmm. Good I, idea. I think that, well, you thought of it. Yeah. I mean, wow, let's, let's do it, Bill. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do a food truck. <laughs> no, you said you wouldn't get into this industry, so there you no, go. No, never. Uh, the wheels are turning. But yeah, yeah no, wouldn't that be great yeah. if you knew that your truck was coming through? Like the ice cream truck, mm-hmm. but, yeah. you know, with a really healthy meal. Mm-hmm. And you knew, you'd heard, you hear the little ding, ding, ding. Yeah, you know, there's the And then trucks. you can go, hey, I mm-hmm. want this, that. Oh, boy. When I was a kid, I, li- I grew up in Ogden. And there was uh, a guy there named Tony Mastronardi, and he had a little farm, vegetable farm, just, just kind of, you know, just, you know, there's Ogden, and then the next street is farm. You know, mm-hmm. it's, that's, uh, it's all um, subdivisions now. But he had, you know, four or five acres, and he grew vegetables all summer, and then he'd load up his pickup truck and drive through the, all the subdivision neighborhoods and just go house to house selling vegetables and ever you know my my uh, mother and he'd say hi nola and she and she'd always buy vegetables from him uh, in spite of the fact that there was a huge vegetable garden in our backyard <laughs> but, <laughs> right you want to support the local economy yeah. this guy's working hard to yeah. get his food out there exactly yeah uh so uh spice kitchen uh we mm-hmm. there, there's a sample of some food here that's uh, been done we're going to try this um this looks great um now, do, uh, I get maybe Kate probably is the person who's going to tell us what this stuff is. Um, again, Spice Kitchen Incubator. Um, oh, you're fu- let's talk about funding quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, 300 people come through a day, two to 300 people uh, on a Thursday, I mean. Mm-hmm. And ah, the sounds of summer. Can it get any better? Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. Discover the unforgettable sensations of the Lexus Performance lineup. Explore the possibilities of a Lexus at the Golden Opportunity sales event. Now through September 6th. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. They pick up their meals. Mm-hmm. And they take one, two, and in my case, we'd take four. Right. So anywhere from 10 to $40 they're spending, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. How much of that on a weekly basis is your bu- makes up your budget? How how much? Not much. Most of our funding goes directly to the entrepreneurs, and that's the way that we want it to be. They're the ones that are in the kitchen. They're doing the hard work behind it. We do take a small administrative fee to uh, to do some of like the logistical administrative support, but it's usually just ten percent of what they're earning. Mm-hmm. The main funding source for this program it's actually a split. Um, we rely we do rely on traditional nonprofit funding that would come from uh, from from government and from private foundations you and write individuals. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. We have lots of grants, and mm-hmm. actually, Salt Lake County has been a um, has 
been very supportive to our efforts with our with the community development block grant that we've have received um, over the past handful of Way years. Way to go, Jenny Wilson. I know. Tell <laughs> me what more I can do. I'm um, going to be ready yeah. to roll it out. We're excited to be able to reapply again this year, and especially with the new space, there will be even more economic development um, that will be happening around it. Um, the other piece of the program is that we rent the kitchen to uh, tradition to other tr- uh, commercial users, oh. um, and that acts as a revenue source for our programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're about a 70-30 split, where 70% is uh, is traditional nonprofit funding through grants and donations, and the other 30% is earned revenue, where we are bringing in money from uh, from commercial rentals, co- uh, kitchen rentals, and then various um, restaurants. Other. Maybe if they have a big catering job, mm-hmm. they'll say we need more kitchen space. Yeah, or other food trucks in the city, um, and we re- we rent that to them at market oh, rate. food trucks come food in trucks, here and make mm-hmm. their stuff, and then yeah, especially during the farmers market season, a lot of the food vendors at the local markets will will use our kitchen. This must be hectic. Mm-hmm. It is a little hectic at times. I mean, we have a very slim staff here. Um, you know, we have three paid staff and then one AmeriCorps uh, position that that works with us, and um, and they work miracles every day. Uh, and it, and it must just be a scheduling. Who's the scheduling genius? Um, I think they all work collectively on it pretty really? pretty closely. Yeah. That's in my, I don't know how you get it done. Yeah. <laughs> it happens and it works out well. We are very rigorous about our training um, in the commercial kitchen. Again, this can be a high risk area. And mm-hmm. so yeah. want to make sure that people know how to, to work in the kitchen and be safe. So. so how many people do you actually have who are training? Training the, the yeah, like to, Yeah. I mean, I know you've got to go through the food handler's permit process mm-hmm. and the licensing and the business side, but like the food... Or does that it happens need between the three different staff just between the three? Mm-hmm. Wow, we do have a lot of great partners within the food industry who come in and do do training with us. You know, we just established a partnership with Cremonelli Meats, and they're coming in to do some industry specific mentorship with our entrepreneurs. So we have really great uh, food business partners who are who are also supplementing the work that we're doing um, alongside with us. So, so um, let's um, let's try some of this food that uh, before it gets cold uh, and talk about what this is. Maybe Kate's the best person to do that. Um, sure, I have a little bit of information okay. on it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a grilled chicken here that is um, called chicken shish tauk, um, and then there's a rice pilaf with peas, carrots, green bean or green green and red bell peppers, potatoes, mm-hmm. and then a fresh garden salad that's supposed to and come where, And where, where does this come from and who did this? So I know usually when we've got it, it, it tells us. Yeah. Um, so the entrepreneurs tonight, they are two sisters and they run a company called Zatar Zaitan. Um, and that means olives and thyme in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been in the program for quite a while. I've had this before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they're really, they're one of our um, more advanced catering participants that mm-hmm. we can, you know, that take jobs. They do stuff all over the city on a regular basis. It's a beautiful yeah. display. Um, do a really great job with yeah. their and their I wish their um, native nation, Iraq. Iraq. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, um, this is this is very good, and I I remember we've had this before at my house. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, good. And then the other di- dish is called subzi. It's a spinach stew with tomatoes, onions, and chickpeas that's simmered uh, with Iraqi spices and parsley and cilantro, and then it's served with white rice. And it's the same the same to the sisters. Uh huh. Same sisters. Mm-hmm. We always offer a vegetarian and then a meat option. Let me try it. Would you mind? No, that? not at all. Let me try that. I love stuff like this. Um, oh, it's nice and hot, too. Wait a second. Here we go. <laughs> All right, so let's go eat show, okay? Mm, excellent. Very so, good. yeah, and you will get some of your old-time favorites. I mean, mm-hmm. as I recall now, the Olive and Time, they've been around Spice Kitchen 
since I started coming here getting food. And so, um, and then new things come along all the time, though. Mm-hmm. Is that potato guy still around? The potato? She is still she? around. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, those, that's probably one of my favorites, yeah. too, although I'm not supposed to have favorites. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, the, the baked potato is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those comfort foods that is, um, that just doesn't get as much credit <laughs> as it should. Describe it a little um, bit. So she does a, uh, traditional baked potato, essentially, and then does it with, uh, like Armenian toppings, essentially. So it's, um, like an eggplant with herbs and then, uh, um, an herbed, uh, sour cream that goes along with it or um, pastrami uh, lots of different things that you just throw it on there an American palate we wouldn't think to do at all but it really all blends together Mm. really well that pilaf is just absolutely terrific Uh, and this so I mean, I, there's still. I mean, if you want to do this, you you can. I'm, there is an opportunity. You don't feel like, oh well, they're full. Right. Uh, so, how do people, you know, access this food every week? Sure. Um, the best place to learn more about what we do is spicekitchenincubator.org, um, and there you can learn about our catering services, the businesses that have food trucks and brick and mortars, as well as how to order spice to go on a weekly basis. Yeah, and and do it. It's a it's a great break for your family too. Um, so, and this is um, a big operation: grant money, tax money, um, and some money generated by the food. Uh, what about if people just want to? Do people donate? Just mm-hmm. yep. I think I, I think so I I know when I came here, and I, my wife usually picks up the stuff, but I came one time and picked it up. And I think there was either the opportunity or, or I just did it to make a donation in addition mm-hmm. to you picking up the food. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, we, we definitely rely on donations and the support of the community to keep this program uh, thriving. And so um, so every dollar that is given to the program goes directly to the program to help serve and sustain um, the staff and the clients that we're working with. So there's opportunities to donate on our website. You can make a donation usually at any events that we're at. We're at farmer's markets, other places throughout the city as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some people um, host campaigns on the their own. Um, for example, uh, Davis Smith, who's the CEO of Cotopaxi, hosted a campaign uh, for his 40th birthday, and he wanted to raise money for that for Spice Kitchen Incubator and um, well exceeded his intention, his goal, and all of that money will go to help support the program over the next year. Did he have his party here? Uh, he did not. He had it at their, their had flagship it. store downtown. The store, um, yep. uh, but we had Spice Entrepreneurs there who catered the event and tied it all together really nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do an event like that, um, uh, can you do uh, alcohol? Um, but if it's a private event, then they that's kind the, of on them to do. They have alcohol. to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if we're doing public events, then we would pull permits and do go through all the proper regulations. To yes, do that. I haven't had the vineyard proposal move forward <laughs> yet to Salt Lake County. <laughs> I'm not sure I could get the votes on that one. Uh, no, you couldn't. <laughs> Unless Jim Bradley gets to vote twice. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> uh, Jenny Wilson, of course, the Salt Lake uh, County Council. Uh, it's. Um, a remarkable thing for the counties to support. Uh, we do have refugees here uh, who are from uh, countries where they've had to flee and they've sought asylum. Um, that's becoming a tougher deal to do. Um, do, you, do either of you have stories about that or how that's changed over the last couple of years without, I don't think any, we don't want to get too overtly political probably. It would not do, it would not serve anyone well, but it, it's, it's gotten tougher. 
Certainly, especially from for people from Muslim uh, majority countries, yeah. you know, as as much as we don't call um, the travel ban a Muslim ban, it did um, greatly impact people of that faith who were trying to come to the United States under the refugee program. Um, pretty much halted refugees from Iraq, from Syria, from uh, very few from Somalia, from those countries mm-hmm. that are Muslim majority, mm-hmm. um, and the numbers have dropped dramatically, even with the forty five thousand that the president had said we, we would commit to bringing into the United States. We'll be lucky if we hit 20,000 this year, and that uh, definitely has an impact on on Salt Lake City and the stuff that we're doing here. Both of you speak to, if you would, the the impact that refugees have on a community. Salt Lake is a small enough city. Salt Lake County is a small enough county that you can see it directly. There there are very few negative aspects, very few negative points of refugees refugees coming to the United States and many, many positive. Is that correct? Absolutely. Jenny? Yeah, talk about the impact, the, the positive impact that refugees have on our community. Well, you know, I'm old enough now, and I'm from here too, Bill. I was born in Salt Lake and I'm 52 years old and I look at how our community has changed since we did have uh, the beginning of this migration of refugees into our community. And I look at what we've become as a community and I couldn't be more proud of our locals, our acceptance of people. I do know that it's difficult. I know that some people have slipped through the cracks, but we see people who have been here for a long time slipping through the cracks. We were born and raised here and who have this pioneer heritage as I do. And I really feel that Utah is a very special place because of uh, the large number of uh, people that we have in our community who have come from other countries, the influence within the schools. I mean, we're just not that Caucasian-based um, mm-hmm. state at the at, at the level we were when I was a child in the 70s running around, it was like right? It like 0.01% people so, of color, and now it's maybe yeah, and it 8%, opens, 2, is it 2%? No, I think it's closer to 10, like 10, 8 yeah, to 10%. Yeah, absolutely. And it opens up, I think, our sense of the world. It gives us a better perspective. It opens up, as even people who live maybe a pretty, live in a pretty narrow lane or a narrow road in terms of their own um, sense of the world, when they interact with people and they're able to from different cultures, it opens up their own minds to what what the larger world is all about. And I think that is such a good thing. Such a good thing for my kids. I mean, I look at my son's basketball team and the diversity on that team, and I think it's so great. Like, he's one of the few little cute Caucasian boys. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so great to mm-hmm. have that diversity, and it's also, I, I love it, actually. It's, it's also the, um, I mean, you know, people who are negative about refugees coming in they say well they're just a big drain on the on the on our tax dollars and they do get tax dollar support when they come in here mm-hmm. but i bet you natalie has figures that she could say well <laughs> but here's what they give back in the long run economically and i don't know if you can do it Dollar-wise, or just generally, I, I have a few in my back pocket. <laughs> I thought you. Um, so I didn't ask her this beforehand. <laughs> Honest to God, I didn't. Uh, it's interesting because the U.S. government had commissioned a report on the the impact of refugees in the United States and looking at the the actual economic impact of that specifically. And in that report, they found that uh, refugees who were resettled between the ages of eighteen to forty five 
on average, pay $21,000 more in taxes than they receive in benefits. So that is just a, it's, it's not factual to say that the, they're a drain on our economy. Um, further, that refugees are 30% more likely than U.S. born individuals to start businesses. And we know that small business drives our economy in different ways. And so that's, and, the, and Spice Kitchen is a, is a testament to that. Um, just in Spice Kitchen alone this last year, uh, the entrepreneurs in the program have grossed eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They're paying taxes on that eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. They're putting that money back into our economy. They're buying supplies for for that for their businesses. Mm-hmm. They're employing other people from their communities or from the larger community overall. Um, so those are those figures are, are really important. I think that when we uh, reframe that conversation and open our minds to the contributions versus the drain that people um, have on a, on a community, then then we and we look at the numbers a little bit deeper. We find that that's just not the case. What is what is more American? than someone saying, I just want a chance to to make it on my own. Mm-hmm. That's all I want. I just like give me a chance and I'll and I'll build a business and I'll try and I'll and I'll it, I mean, it's the American dream. Mm-hmm. It's why people come here. Right. And I think that there's a piece of the dream for everyone. I don't know that there has to be an us and them mentality um, in order for, for that dream to be achieved for, for anyone who comes to the United States. If you're willing to work hard to put your own emotional, social, and and, and, and fiscal capital into the work that you're doing and to help a community thrive, you deserve that opportunity to do that. Um, and so that's one of the things that, that we're really driving hard. And I think Spice Kitchen um, is is an avenue to open up that dialogue. There's very few people in the United States that can say that they are native to the United States, right? Mm -hmm. We were all immigrants at one time, some of us more recent than others. I'm first generation. Um, The people that we're working with, their their kids are first generation just like me. And so when I look in their eyes, I see my own family story. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have gone so far away from seeing that story as part of our own, that narrative, um, that that's created this, uh, you know, this this um, us or them. disjointing yeah. that does in that mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think when you point out that um, we are seeing a net economic benefit from people who've come in, I want to work to assure that we have healthcare access mm-hmm. and access to equal access to education, and that our education system can conform to accommodate the challenges if they're new to our country. These young children. That's what will make that number go up even higher. Okay. So there's also the the you know bleeding heart side of this that sure. I think Bill you all three of us share mm-hmm. but there's also the bottom line and the more we can get people into healthcare earlier um, preventive care specialty care yeah. figure out how to crack that the better off we're going to be here in Utah and as a nation and that I worry so much in these years where we're seeing the brakes put on the system in so many ways that we're going to have even further to go I mean no surprise I'm counting the days till we have a new president in office and I haven't been shy about that but I worry that we're going to have even further to go mm-hmm. and maybe it's a Republican who's our next president after Trump I don't know but I would hope that he or she will at least move us forward in some of these difficult areas where we have evidence-based um, data that that shares what you just shared. This is an economic benefit to bring people in from other nations. Let's own that, let's understand that, and let's solve the problems that are created when we as a country don't get that and aren't open with health care and other paths to success. Yeah, the uh, us or them uh, idea that you mentioned, Natalie, it's it is it's hard for uh people who 
you know, have had jobs and can't find jobs. And then they see people, they see refugees come here and get some assistance from the government. And they don't, they think that they're not, they think, well, why are they getting the assistance and I'm not? But I bet you most of those people, if they really think long and hard of, about it, they are getting assistance. You know, they're getting, they're getting their Medicaid or Medicare. I should say Medicare. They're getting their Medicare. You know, or they're getting their Social Security. They've had their unemployment insurance. You know, maybe it's run out, but they've had it. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody needs help <clears throat> from time to time. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to make it sound as though the people who look at refugees askance with, and with anger don't feel anger toward those people who do that. Try and understand where they're coming from and say, you know, we're willing to help you as well. Everybody needs a hand up. And if you're, you know, if you're struggling, everybody needs a hand up. And that's really what I think this is, this is a great program to go back to the refugees who come here. Mm-hmm. Um, you need a ha- hand up. You need uh, help integrating into the community, figure out what's going on, how to do it. Um, I think we do that exceptionally well here mm-hmm. um, in in Salt Lake, particularly in Salt Lake County. Uh, most I've talked to kids, um, refugee kids who've been here three years, four years, and and they're like almost assimilated. They're like, we, yeah, we're doing great. Mm-hmm. We 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 go to school. We like school. Our, the, the, our, my you know my high school classmates treat me well. Sure, we love it. It's great. And I think that's that's a really good thing, and we need to find that kind of enthusiasm for everybody instead of us all being just like, kind of, sure. it's like it's like we're trying to chew each other's chew our own arms off sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. to get out of a trap somehow. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. It does, and it's about being neighbors to one another, yeah. right? It's kind of to your point where we're yeah. we've all faced hardship at some point, and or many of us will at, at another point in our lives. It's but coming there, up. But there is uh, there is a safety net that's in place that can help people. Uh, we need to be better about those safety nets, improve the safety nets, and have you know access to, to affordable health care for individuals and lots of other pieces and improve our education. There's a li- whole laundry list of different things that we need to do. But the same way that somebody who becomes unemployed can go to the Department of Workforce Services and seek assistance with that and finding a job and getting back on your feet, um, that a new American can access those resources. And there's there's enough to go around, I mm, think. Um, and so I think that that's not uh, it's not just what resources are being taken from one to give to another. We're just adding to the pool. Uh, Natalie Eldieri. Eldieri? Eldieri. Eldieri. Mm-hmm. Eldieri. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is the acting director here at Spice Kitchen Incubator. Uh, Jenny Wilson, Salt Lake County Councilwoman running for Senate here. Uh, things are going to start heating up there pretty I mean, mm-hmm. they're already hot and heavy, but it's going to get... Get busier after yeah. Labor Day, no yeah. doubt. Yep. Um, this is a great program, Spice Kitchen Incubator. Go to spice... What? org. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Yep. We're going to take a tour of the kitchen. Um, I think we've kind of... I think we got it. We've covered stuff. This has been a really pleasure to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. It's always nice to see you, uh, Jenny Wilson. Thanks. Say yeah. hi to your family for me. I will. All right. Uh, and so we'll take a little break here. And we'll um, go to the kitchen with Kate. We're going to go take a tour of the Spice Kitchen kitchen. Yes, looks like Kate. So Kate Adzorek. Adzorek. Uh, I'd say it. Adzorek. Adzorek. 
Uh, she is the... Uh, I'm the program manager here at Spice Kitchen, and so I, uh, I spend every day here, and uh, I'm very cl- intimately involved in the operations here. How did you come to be here and do this job? I've been working in incubator programs for over a decade now. I started a program in Alaska prior to being here, and then I was interested in making a change, and I have a family, and so we decided to move here when this position came available, and it's been a great fit. I don't know how the best way to do this. Maybe just take us on a tour like we're, we're visiting dignitaries or politicians or something and what you would do. Great. That sounds good. Can I just hold that? No. no? Okay. Yeah, I won't touch it. Dignitary yeah. line might be a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you can't hold this. Okay. So, I can? No, you can't. Don't get pushy, Kate. Just take us to the kitchen. <laughs> okay. So... Um, basically, after entrepreneurs have moved into, have done all the licensing and permitting and they start operating as an actual business, they're allowed to, or they're able to rent space at a subsidized rate here in our kitchen. And so our kitchen is set up, it's very industrial, but it's set up to be able to serve multiple businesses at one time. And so you can see in front of us that there are three individual lines with cooking equipment at the end of them. And each of those can serve a different business preparing their food for the day as well we also have a prep line which is just for cold preparation of food or if you're working on dough or something that that doesn't require any cooking equipment so your ta- uh, you you can you can have three different businesses working here at the same time is now do we have just two right now or just one we actually have uh, two active businesses on lines right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but as with the prep station as well, we can host up to four businesses, and we're open 24-7, 365. So really? they're able to access, you know, they, we can work with each entrepreneur to ensure that they do have kitchen time at some point, even if it's not all at the same time in one day. Now, now uh, Jenny Wilson, feel free to... I've got a question. Yeah. So I see the pots. I see the utensils. I see the kitchen. Like, what do they bring? What do you have? So we provide primarily the large equipment, but we do also anything we have, we let anyone use. Um, so we provide warmers for caterings and chafing dishes and that kind of thing. But ultimately, our goal is to have entrepreneurs build up their own supplies for their operation. And so at the beginning, they might start with a few pots and pans and some spoons. And then as they continue to grow, they might buy a hot box. They might buy warmers. They might buy a full tent set up for farmer's markets. Um, And so just as they continue to do more and more of various types of businesses or selling in different locations, they buy their own equipment according to that. Uh, So can we talk to some the uh, the chefs are going to come over and talk to us here in just a second. Oh, okay. Do you, do you have a sense, and I don't know, I'll look that. Uh, do you have a sense, you know, you don't work in the private sector, but are you health inspected more or less than uh, like a restaurant, or do you know? or Because yeah. I know you're health inspected. Interestingly, we're, we're inspected technically the same amount as any restaurant would be. You have generally an inspection about every six months, but we have... 20 plus businesses run out of here so we have health inspectors in here weekly so yeah, we are we're inspected the same amount but they're here a lot and so we kind of ha- they have a closer eye on yet us. you have to really be on your toes because there are a lot of health inspectors around so when you c- come and get food here at uh, spice kitchen incubator yeah, don't worry about about any of the health inspector stuff now uh, so th- these uh, women here are making meals for the thursday service which is people are going to start when we're recording this on a thursday they're going to start picking this food up at what time 
They pick up food between 4 and 6.30 on Thursdays. So starting now, two to 300 meals. These two women are doing two to 300 meals themselves? Yep. That's a nice thing about Spice to Go is it has been amazing for entrepreneurs as well as for the community. They have been able to increase their capacity and their speed in general operation for serving larger numbers of individuals. And so it's allowed them to really scale up. Uh, as we want them to. And I think that brings up another point that you guys were talking about earlier that, you know, one entrepreneur may only be able to make two to 300 orders, but if a lot of people want this, we can have two entrepreneurs cooking for one night. So that can double our capacity. So don't be shy about going to spicekitcheninkubator.org, and if it looks interesting to you, you can order food. Correct. Yeah. Um, so, I'd, uh, yeah, Dylan, I would like to talk to a chef or more. Yeah. They'll be right over. We'll do an edit right here. Okay, right here. Hi, what's your name? Mayada. And where are you from? Iraq. And Mayada, is that right? Yeah, Mayada. Uh, and you are the olive and thyme? Zatar and Zaytun. Mm-hmm. I've had your uh, food many times from here. It's always uh-huh. very good. Thank you. How long have you been doing it? Uh, we start Farmer Market at 2015, mm-hmm. and then uh, so it's almost four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going well. Yeah. 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 You, I mean, you look happy. Not. <laughs> you must be happy. Yeah, happy. <laughs> um, of course. What are you What are you preparing tonight? I think we tried a little bit of it, but yeah, we do shish tawuk, the chickens uh, mm-hmm. with uh, some spice uh, and come with the rice, uh, vegetable rice, and uh, the vegetarian white rice with uh, sebzi. We called it as spinach stew. It was del- uh, the the pilaf was delicious. Did you want to ask a question, Jenny? Yeah, so tell me, you know this kitchen now. You've been coming here weekly, right? You just come in and do your thing, and you know how to make it work for you. Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. yeah. Is it a good kitchen? Yeah, very good. Yeah. Were yeah. you in the restaurant business in Iraq? No. No? So you're lear- you learned the business when you came here? When we came here, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, did you, you have a family here as well? Yeah, I have uh, cousins. I have uh, two sisters mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Chil- no children? Uh, I have, yeah, one daughter. And uh, how, is she, how does she like being here? Yeah, she loves it. She yeah. loves it. She it's don't want to beg to no, you <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's, it's sad to say, yeah. but you don't want to go back there. No, At least no. maybe... Someday, yeah, but someday, when the everything go good and safe, maybe. There, there's a there's a pretty big Iraqi community here, a, a fairly large number of Iraqis in yeah, Salt Lake. Yeah, um, so they they cook at home. Yes. But they find have they found you, and do you cook now for other Iraqis? Well, no, not a lot. They love to cook for themselves, yeah. but we just do. I think uh, one wedding. Uh, a wedding, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just one yeah. for the Iraqi. Yeah. yeah. It's a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to meet you. Too. And, thank um, you so much. Yeah, thank you. And, and now get back to work. Uh-huh. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that, I think that's, that's what, you, what, you, what you get here, and it's really wonderful. Uh, Jenny Wilson, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Natalie. Alzidiri. Uh, thank you, Kate. Aid Zorik. Uh, It's the Let's Go Eat Show. Thanks, uh, everybody here at uh, Spice Kitchen Incubator for having us. Uh, Go to SpiceKitchenIncubator.org. Please check it out. You can find everything you need there. Uh, Jenny Wilson running for uh, Senate here in Utah. Uh, And thank you for your work on the Salt Lake County Council. Uh, I'm Bill Allred. Thanks, Dylan, for producing the show. That's it. Remember, if you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double. (laughs) 